Good morning. We'd like to uh, welcome you to Sunday service on this beautiful November day. Uh, my name is Nayaswami Bharat, and uh, this is Nayaswami Anandi. And our reading today uh, from Rays of the One Light by Swami Kriyananda is The Promise of the Scriptures. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 15, we read the famous parable of the prodigal son. Jesus tells of the man who took the wealth bestowed on him by his father and squandered it in foreign lands, where he fell into evil ways. At last, repentant, he returned to his father's home. When his father saw him, He was, as Jesus tells us, moved with compassion and ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no longer worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Fetch quickly the best robe and put it on him and give him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, 
and bring out the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and make merry, because this is my son, because this my son was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Small-hearted human beings, identified as they are with their little egos, give exaggerated importance to any slight that they receive from others. Thus, they imagine God, like them, to be petty, unpardoning, and vindictive. In God's eyes, however, when human beings go astray, there is nothing to forgive. All of us are aspects only of his own self. He who made us resides in us. He is not far away from us in some far-off heaven. He is, his call to us always is to return to our home in it, within. The way of return is described in the Bhagavad Gita in the sixth chapter. Supreme blessedness is that yogis who has completely calmed his mind, controlled his ego-active tendencies, rajas, and purged himself of desire, thereby attaining oneness with Brahma, the infinite spirit. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Good morning. I'd like to say a special welcome to our Uh, Ananda family from Sacramento, we have a large contingent here, and it's wonderful to have you all here with us this weekend. I'll uh, begin by reading from Whispers from Eternity. This is a book of prayers and poems by Paramahansa Yogananda. Every now and then you find one that you're sure has just appeared here. (laughs) Save me from shipwreck on my ocean of dreams. I was shipwrecked on the storm-tossed ocean of mere dreams. My vessel of happiness was shattered utterly. Struggling, I tried to swim through those tossing waves of sadness and suffering. Then suddenly, a little ray of hope, wafted to me by thy winds of mercy, came floating to me. I grasped it and held on, little by little, Floating thereon, I touched at last upon the golden isle of peaceful silence. Nymphs of thy blessings met me and took me to thy safe presence of eternal reassurance. Beyond all waves of false, rising hopes and crashing disappointments. So our... Subject today, the prodigal son. This has to be one of the most beautiful and certainly the most beloved of the parables of Jesus. Um, I was thinking about teaching classes here at the Expanding Light. I often lead classes for new people to to the Expanding Light, to Ananda, and uh, sometimes a weekend, sometimes a week-long class, and I like to know who I'm talking to. So after we do our introductions of why people came for the weekend and so on, I often will ask them, 
how they feel about the word God. Is that a word that is comfortable for them or not comfortable for them? And you can imagine this makes for some interesting discussion. And uh, sometimes people will say, well, I was raised Christian, and so for me, God is a very comfortable word. And sometimes people will say, I was raised Christian, and for me, God is not a comfortable word. (laughs) So, as the reading said, um, those who represent religion often take the image of God down to make it comfortable for themselves. They make God in their own image of pettiness, of vindictiveness, judgment. And that is bad enough on a human level. But when you have a being that is omnipotent and is also critical and judgmental and vengeful, then you have something seriously to worry about. And it's, it's not a fun thing for people. And so the word God has a lot of uh, bad press, I would say, bad uh, representation. Um, the masters come again and again through history, they're God-realized. They're sent by God with a mission to teach us, to help us realign ourselves with the truth. And each one of them who comes, each with a different mission, always comes with a corrective. This is what, this is what society needs now to help move it in the direction of truth. And they come and they put out the message, and then over time, people start dragging it down to a more comfortable level. And so, picture Jesus now sitting with his disciples, who are all Jewish. And by this time in Judaism, Judaism had been dragged down to be very focused on rules and on a God that is kind of irritable, really. <laughs> kind of nasty, a little bit uh, critical, and, and um, not all that welcoming, uh, judgmental, and so on. And here... He shares with this disciple, this is a different kind of God. This is a God that runs out to welcome us when we make a mistake. And so just to briefly recap the story of the parable son, um, a father gave both of his sons their inheritance, and the younger son took his and squandered it, as Swami says, squandered it in foreign lands. What are foreign lands? The foreign lands of the senses that are not our true nature. What was that gift that of wealth that he gave them. That was the wealth of divine wisdom. That was the wisdom and the peace and the joy that goes with it. This is the way Yogananda interprets it. And he took that wisdom, not realizing how sensitive it was, and he went and squandered it in the foreign lands of the senses. But then he began to starve because the senses, by definition, can't feed our inner wisdom. They can't feed the joy and the peace of the soul. And he began to starve and he repented and he wanted to go back to his father. And so he, again, as it said, I'm not worthy to be your son. He walked back to his father. But the part of the story that I think I love the best, um, it's not in the reading uh, that Barat read, but it's in the Bible. It says, the father saw the son when he was yet a far way away. He had not come close to the kingdom of the Father. The Father's kingdom is the kingdom of wisdom, joy, peace. The Son had turned resolutely back toward the Father, and the Father could tell that the soul was making a journey back to truth. 
but he was still a far distance away. And yet the father went running out to, to greet him, to shower him with blessings, and to usher him back home again. To me, that just still a far way away is so moving because we don't have to find God. We have to attempt to find God and God will find us and he will lift us the rest of the way. This past couple of weeks, um, I've heard some interesting stories and I want to share them because they, they relate to this parable very beautifully. <clears throat> As many of you know, I've become a sort of a missionary for um, a prayer of Yogananda's that I heard about about a year ago. It's called the Peace and Harmony Prayer. Some of you have heard about it at Sunday service a couple of times already. Um, But it's a very, very simple prayer. Um, If you're having a difficulty with somebody, you pray, Lord, fill him with peace and harmony, peace and harmony for one minute. And then you pray for yourself, Lord, fill me with peace and harmony, peace and harmony for 15 seconds. Very simple. What's so amazing to me about it is how powerful it is. And so I often share it in classes and I often tell people, please write to me if, if you feel some response from this prayer. And I, I get um, responses. And I'd like to share a story with you. I'm going to call this woman Jane. And she took the prayer home and was using it successfully with her boss at work and finding she was gaining a lot from it. But something unusual happened a couple of weeks ago. She's been married a long time, has a very happy marriage. And then suddenly she and her husband just had a blow up. They just got into a fight. And it was very painful. And they were each felt that they were in the right. And they each felt the other person owed an apology. And it kind of went very intense. And after a few minutes of that, she walked into the next room and she just thought, what am I going to do? I am clearly in the right and owed an, <laughs> owed an apology, but I, I hate this feeling of pain. And so she said, well, the only thing I can think of to do is the peace and harmony prayer. So she just started saying, Lord, fill him with peace and harmony, peace and harmony. She said it three times. And the next thing she knew, with no conscious effort, or, uh, effort on her part, she was walking back into the other room and apologizing to her husband. No previous thought about it. It just happened. And then he was apologizing to her. And the whole thing ended very harmoniously with both of them feeling like they had gained something in the process. Okay, that was story number one. The next story, as uh, it says somewhere, like unto the first, but different. Um, Last weekend, Bharat and I were in Concord, California, and the weekend before, we were in Boston, Massachusetts. And we had some wonderful satsangs with uh, some of the Ananda disciples and Kriyabans and heard some wonderful stories. I have another story for you. This is a story about um, a lady I'm going to call Joy, who uh, is, has been a Kriyaban for many years. And she um, is a very positive person generally. But there was a part of her life where a, l- a little bit of negativity had sprung up in her work. And it wasn't a consistent thing. And so she just kind of let it... Uh, what do you call? It was gestating. It was sort of uh, below the surface most of the time. And every now and then something would happen at work and it would make her get into this negative, angry place. Then it would go away and it, she would, it would go beneath the surface and she wouldn't think about it. Well, this had been going on for several years. 
Um, and then what happened recently was something happened at work that really brought it to the surface, and she lost her center, and she did not come from a good place, and she was very, very upset about it. And so the next day, luckily, was the weekend, and she said she felt that she was being drawn down, pulled down by darkness, like a whirlpool of quicksand or something, sucking her down. And to some extent, it was fairly comfortable because it was related to that anger, and that anger was very familiar to her. You know, in the Bhagavad Gita talks about the fact that we have to, the people we're fighting within ourselves, they're our relatives, they're familiar to us. This was very familiar to her, and it was kind of comfortable, but on the other hand, she could feel she was sinking. And she tried desperately to keep her head above water, and the only thing she could do was call God, Christ, Guru, or say the names of the Master. She just was too depleted to think of meditating, holding this in light, whatever. All she could do was just try to hold her face toward the light, keeping her mouth above the water, so to speak, so she could somehow be pointed toward the light. And she just kept at it for three or four hours. That's all she could do. She was just trying to survive. And she said at the end of that time, she felt lifted up by God, by the light. It was transformed. It was left behind. She, by reaching upward, she had found that. Now these stories relate very well to the prodigal son because no one in this room is really, the prodigal son, as it says in the Bible, um, wasted his inheritance on riotous living. Now who in this room has a problem with riotous living? Not, not very many of us. That's not, oh, someone's raising their hand. There's a few hands in the back. <laughs> but most people don't. <laughs> we'll talk afterwards. <laughs> riotous living is not our problem, but mostly, mostly. But Perhaps too much, um, too much uh, entertainment, too much TV, too much videos, uh, too much seeking pleasure through buying things or food or whatever. But also, we waste our wisdom on negative emotions, don't we? On guilt, on anger, on resentment. And just like my friend Joy, sometimes they're very quietly there and we just kind of let them gestate. And while they gestate, um, as Ananta said, once quoting a great singer, he said, rust, rust never sleeps. Um, they don't just sit there. They, they grow. And so we want to, the answer is, comes in reaching up. And while we are still a, a long ways off, which is what was the case of Jane and Joy, they, they just were reaching. They didn't crest the hill They just reached up and God reached down to lift them up. And that's what he's asking of us. As Master said, I don't ask you to overcome temptation. I just ask you to resist it. I just ask you to reach toward the positive. God is, this uh, parable is so beautiful, but the true story is even more beautiful because God is not a father who's separate from ourselves, but God is actually within ourselves, waiting for us here at the spiritual eye and here. He's more than waiting for us. He's a magnet of positive, loving energy drawing us upward. A few years ago, Bart was giving a class on how to teach, and 
he wanted to share with, with these uh, teachers the principle of magnetism. Very important in teaching. And so he called, I don't know how he thought of this, but he called our friend Sudarshan and asked if he had a magnet. Uh, if anyone would have it, Sudarshan would have it. He didn't have a little, little wimpy horseshoe magnet. He had a, a magnet that was the size of a, half of a brick, a, a, a magnet like this that came in a box with warnings all over it. <laughs> this, you know, this will demagnetize your, all your electronic equipment, keep us away from anything electronic. And so Bharat set up the display, and he, he had a tray full of straight pins, and he had his magnet. And first the stray pins were all going every which way on the tray. And as he brought the magnet closer, the straight pins all sort of aligned themselves. And as he brought them closer still, those pins went flying, flying through the air and lined themselves up on the side of that magnet. Now, I just love that image because if you think of God as this magnet of love inside of you, coaxing you, drawing you, saying to you, you are one with all that is. You are pure love. You are all goodness. And we, unfortunately, have another magnet at the base of the spine saying, no, I'm not. I'm just separate. I'm miserable. I'm crummy. I don't want to be bothered. I'm lazy. I'm tired. And so we're, it takes a long time. It's not as simple as that. But if we can release the hold of that magnet at the bottom and point ourselves toward that positive magnet, it will lift us. It will draw us. Just as the Father came and drew the Son back, that magnet will lift us to God. And that is what the spiritual journey is about. A couple of nights ago, Jyotish was sharing a quotation from Anandamoy Ma that I think everyone who heard it was deeply moved by. She said that, the natural food of the mind is joy. And we are, we are seeking everywhere. We're starving without it. And we have to seek everywhere to find it. But if we can align ourselves with the joy, that is what will feed us. There was, in the 1950s, um, the United States Defense Department had a meeting to, to create a better defensive weapon. And they had reached a kind of an impasse in their thinking. And so someone led them through a creativity exercise. And in this creativity exercise, they were going to take a journey to, taking a journey to the desert. And what did they see in the desert? Just to stimulate new thinking. And someone mentioned that they saw a snake called a sidewinder. And someone else mentioned that the sidewinder has an infrared sensor and it, and it as attracts its it uh, is attracted to its prey by the heat of the little animal. And that is the beginning of the Sidewinder missile, which is a heat, what's it called? heat-seeking missile. A heat-seeking missile. You know, there's this bad missile coming, and this other one is just drawn to it because of its heat. And I thought, that is what we should be like. We should be a joy-seeking missile. We should be... <laughs> We should be sort of saying, where is the joy? Is what I'm now currently doing or expressing, is that leading me to that inner joy or not? And if it's not, how can I realign myself with that joy? That is our, that's our journey, and God will help us to do that.
there's a beautiful, beautiful story that Yogananda shares. Um, it, it's about the Buddha. And the Buddha and his disciples were coming to a clearing, and the Buddha was speaking to them about truth. They were all monastics. The Buddha was a monastic. His disciples were all monastics. And he was speaking to them of truth. And his face was glowing with light. And he was a beautiful, beautiful human being. And sitting under a tree in that clearing was a very beautiful woman who was a courtesan. And this courtesan saw the Buddha and she saw his shining countenance, countenance and she was attracted to him. And she went running to him with her arms outstretched and said, I love you. Let me embrace you. And the Buddha said to her, I love you too, but don't touch me now. I will hold you later, but not now. And the disciples' (laughs) eyes were getting really big, and they just went, oh my God, our master, what is happening to our master? And so she said, well, why not now? He said, no, no, just wait. I'll come to you later. So the disciples were kind of scratching their head and they were wandering away, following the Buddha, leaving the clearing. They wandered and he, they would stop and meditate and he would teach them and so on. And years went by and the Buddha was lecturing to them about truth. And then he said, my beloved, the courtesan is calling me. I must go to her. And he started running back to that place where they had left her. And the disciples were running after him thinking, oh no, we've got to save him from this fall. And they came to the clearing and under the tree there was the courtesan. But now she was covered with smallpox and her whole body was covered with oozing sores. And the disciples just fell back. They were frightened. And the Buddha went to her and he took her up in his arms and he nestled her in his arms like a child and he said, I told you, I would hold you. I told you I would come for you. I wanted to show you what love is. He said, now all your other friends have gone away, but I am your friend always. And as he held her, he healed her of the smallpox and he healed her of her past karma. And she ended up joining his band of monastic disciples and following him. It's such a touching and beautiful story because it says that God doesn't need us to have it all together. But we need to turn to him. She still loved him. She still called to him with love. And that's what he responded to. Not her present condition, but the love. And that is what we want to offer to God. No matter how low we feel, how far we feel like we've gone into foreign lands or have much of our inheritance we've squandered, if we just turn back to God, he will come to us. The chant that we sang at the beginning, Yogananda, as I said, called it the chant of cosmic consciousness. And he said, chant this chant always. Those of us who are his disciples know he says a lot of things. Do this always. Do this always. So there's one more thing to do always. Chant this chant. And I I ask myself often, why am I chanting this chant? And I, to me, it feels that that chant is all about the words, thou and I never apart. 
that we're just bubbles in this ocean of God. We are never separate from him. We just want to merge back into that consciousness. So how we do it is we remember that he's near to us always. Yogananda on one of his tapes said so beautifully, those who think God far away, they never find him. But those who think God near, they find him nearest of the near and dearest. Go far and deep in sin.